I hope that you do, please go ahead and turn with me to the book of Revelation. <clears throat> the book of Revelation. Look at Revelation chapter 14. Now, we will, um, I know last week we covered the first six verses, but there is a lot more here that I wanted to cover. So we are going to be looking again for a second week, and I think the final week, at the first six verses here. So um, Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Um, <clears throat> May, uh, may say one or two things that uh, connect back to last week, but all in all, I think we'll be looking at uh, uh, mostly new material here as we look at our verses. But in Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, and I'm going to ask, if you're physically able to do so, to stand with me one final time as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word. And so let us hear what God has to say to us. And as I said this morning, so I say again, uh, in a very real way, um, thus says the Lord, and I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven and the, as the voice of many waters, as the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty-four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits of God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Let's pray. Our Father, may you add the blessing to the reading of your word. And may your word go forth for the purpose that it has been for which it has been purposed. And may I accomplish for your glory all that you have designed it for. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Many years ago, um, a, uh, a gentleman who uh, was a judge in Boston, his name was Judge Horace Gray. He would later go on to serve as um, the, uh, on the Supreme Court. And he once said to a man who was... Um, who escaped conviction on a simple technicality. He said this, I know and you know that you are guilty. We both know it. And I wish you to remember that one day you will stand before a much better and wiser judge and that you will be dealt with according to justice and not according to law. Um, the reality is, is that man's justice is, is honestly at times subject to errors. I mean, People make mistakes. Even even our, our our systems, our court systems, aren't 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 one hundred percent. They they are uh, they they at times make mistakes. But God's justice is pure. It is perfect. There is no escape. There is no um, there's no technicalities. There's um, there is only God's work. Uh, God's 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 work in his in his courtroom in his perfect courtroom. And God, unless He grants repentance. Um, all of us, all of us would in fact meet perfect justice. We would all meet perfect justice. But the fact that Christ Jesus has come, and the fact that Jesus Christ has taken upon himself our sins, and the fact that Jesus Christ has in fact purchased us by his own blood, for, his own, for the glory of the Father and for his own glory, through the Spirit's work in us, uh, and working through the Spirit, in us and through us, I think, does show that God is, in fact, very gracious. 
God is gracious because after all, I mean, even in Christ's sacrifice, right, there is, there is no technicalities. Uh, uh, the, 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 the payment has been, has been rendered perfect to the Father through his, through his Son's precious work and his Son's precious blood. And because of this, we who are in Christ can see God's love and his grace as infinite and wonderful. We can see it as valuable and undeserved. And as a result, we can respond in worship, which is just as those in Revelation 14 are doing in our text before us. So this morning, what I want us to see is I want want us to see the greatness of Christ and the greatness of his salvation that has come to us and the fact that... The fact that he and he alone has purchased our salvation. So, with that said, here's the first truth that I want us to see concerning the greatness of Christ and his salvation. And that is simply this. The surpassing value of knowing Christ. The surpassing value of knowing Christ. Do you notice the characteristics of God's people that are found in chapter 14 and verse 1? Listen to what it says here. Let's just take a look. And I looked and lo... A lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him, that is the lamb, Jesus, 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Do you notice immediately, we notice immediately, and, and as I said last week, let me, let me just simply uh, say this. Um, chapter 14, again, has to be read in light of chapter 13 and 14 being contrasts to one another. Uh, chapter 13 presents the followers of the beast and the false prophet, and now is the followers of the lamb. And whereas the beast and the false prophet and uh, they, they are, and their followers are of the earth, now we see Christ and his people, the lamb and his people, standing upon Mount Zion, which is the true Jerusalem, the true city of God, the whole holy city. The, whole, the holy city that comes down out of heaven eventually uh, that we will see later on in Revelation. And it is, it is in, in fact, that the, the people of God are standing with Christ in heaven. And they are in the presence of Jesus. They are with the Lamb himself. And they are called the 144,000. Now, as I said earlier, I do believe this is a fulfillment of the promise of Romans chapters 9 through 11. Paul, Paul writes in Romans chapters 9 through 11 that um, God would fulfill his, his eternal purposes uh, toward, the, toward the, the, the Jewish nation by bringing in people, but it stands for more than that. Not only is this the 144,000, uh, does it stand for God fulfilling his purposes uh, in bringing in Jewish believers, again, in their fullness, but ultimately it stands for the fullness of those who are in Christ. It stands for the fullness of the church. It stands for the fullness of all of us who are in Christ. Like the followers of the beast, the 144,000 have the name of whom they follow on their forehead. And whether or not we realize it, every person on this earth, every person in this planet has a name written on their forehead. We are either followers of Christ or we are followers of Antichrist. We are followers of the dragon, Satan. If we do not follow Christ, then we follow Antichrist. We follow the beast. We follow the dragon. We follow those who are, those who are against Christ, those who are competing with Christ. As I said, anti uh, doesn't necessarily mean that, that um, they are 100% opposed to what Christ is doing, as we so often think of anti, but actually is anti in the sense of they are trying to subvert and, and, and sway the masses away from 
the, the gospel because they are setting up a, an alternative, a competitive system, a competitive system of government. And this is, this is Antichrist. This is, this is what it means to follow the dragon. But these have, who have not followed the, the, the world, these who have not followed Antichrist, these who have not followed the dragon, they, they, they are doing something. What are they doing? Well, they are praising, aren't they? This is amazing. Because God's grace has clearly come to these 144,000, and yet they are responding how? They are responding not in prayer, although, although certainly prayer can, can go with praise. Um, and, and maybe we could say, well, what they're singing is certainly a, a prayer of sorts. But they're not praying. What are they doing? They're praising God. They're, they're singing a new song. They're singing a new song, the song of the redeemed. And they are, they are praising God, making much of Christ. Um, and it's amazing that their voices match that of the lambs, isn't it? Because if you go back to Revelation chapter 1, what does it say in verse 15? Well, it says in Revelation chapter 1, 15, it says this. Speaking of Jesus, it says, and, and his feet were like fine brass, as if they were burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And so now the, the people of God are, are resounding and responding to their Savior um, with the sound, with great fervor and great honor and great singing. They are singing and they are praising this new song. I mean, <clears throat> we can say, well, they're singing a new song, and that may not sound like much to us, right? I mean, you, you can maybe learn new songs, right? Uh, we, we, maybe you learn a, maybe, maybe you've heard a new song even here today, right, on this Lord's Day. Maybe, maybe you had never heard or sung before. So, so maybe it doesn't sound like a new thing, but, but this is special. It may, not seem like, it may not seem special, but in the Bible, this is very special. People are said to sing new songs primarily, listen to this, primarily when God does something great in their lives, particularly rescuing them. And so what I want you to do is I want you to see, I want you to go back with me. Go back to the Old Testament in Psalm chapter 40. And I want you to see this. I want you to see this as, as the psalmist here is writing. <clears throat> and he's writing in Psalm 40. Listen to what he says. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he has put a new song in my mouth. There is that phrase. He has put a new song in my mouth. Even praise to our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that makes the Lord his trust and respects not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. And this is the song of Revelation chapter 14. This is the, song, the new song of the saints that are, they are singing. Those who are redeemed from among the earth. These who are, who are singing are singing a new song that God himself has placed in their mouth because of the work of Christ in their life, because of the work of Christ on the cross for them, because of what God has done for them, primarily for God rescuing them out of a dangerous situation. We say, well, there's great tribulation and all kinds of craziness going on at this time. Sure there is, but that's not primarily what they're talking about. That's not primarily what their song is about. It's not that they were rescued from some type of, of earthly tribulation, but the fact that their souls were in themselves rescued by Christ that their souls were redeemed and delivered by Christ himself from the horrors of, 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 of the wrath of God. And so they sang a new song. 
God rescued them from a dangerous situation of having their souls being in danger of wrath. God saving them now has put a new song in their hearts. Christian, the same is true for us. When Christ has redeemed us, he has given us the new song. He has given us a new song to sing. He has called us to sing a new song. He has called us to sing the song of redemption, the song of salvation. Now, as I've already said, this new song we're told about that they're singing is actually found in chapter 5. And this, this new song that they are singing is found in Revelation chapter 5. But note that, the, note that the, only the redeemed are the ones who are able to sing it. Notice that the redeemed are the only the ones who, who are able to sing it. Because they alone have been saved. They alone have experienced. The angels in heaven can't sing it because they, they don't know what redemption feels like. They have never experienced it. As a matter of fact, we are told that angels have longed to look into redemption and they don't quite understand it. No one else can sing this song but the saints. Only the saints are able to exalt Christ for his work of redemption on the cross. Only the saints are able to rejoice in the work of Christ upon the cross. Only the saints are able to to cry out and call out that God has put a new song in our mouths and in our hearts because he has not just he has not just made us morally nice and good but he has in fact transformed us. He has transformed us in the power of his holy spirit through the gospel. We are now new creations in Christ. We are not we are, we are new creations. We're not, we are new creations in Christ. And we're able to exalt him because of that. But notice the characteristics here of these saints because they are said to be with Christ standing, standing in Mount Zion. Notice, notice what is said to be of these characteristics of these saints. One, it is said that they are secure in Christ. You say, well, what do you, what do you mean? Well, if you look at verse 3... <coughs> I'll go into this a little more depth here in just a few minutes, but just want to just bring your attention to this. In chapter, chapter 14 and verse 3, it is said that they are redeemed from the earth. They are, they are secure in Christ because Christ has purchased them. He has bought them. They, have, they are now in Christ, they were, they were, and they are before Christ. They are in his presence. And do we remember what Christ said to us? This is no different than what Christ has said to us. Jesus said... And I am with you always, even to the end of the world, even to the end of the age. Christ is with us. And it points us to the reality that they are who they are and they are secure in Christ only because of Christ. Christian, you are secure in Christ, but you are only secure in Christ because of Christ. I am secure in Christ. You are secure in Christ, not because salvation is is uh, I am responsible for my own salvation or because you're responsible for your own salvation or you and I are responsible for keeping our salvation. Christ keeps our salvation and as a result of being new creations in Christ, we live out our faith. But notice also that they are secure in Christ because it tells us here of their security because they are standing how? With the Lamb on Mount Zion. And I know that for most of us, most of us, it is difficult to see because we live, we live with the reality of indwelling sin still, that our salvation is secure. And, and it's difficult for us to ever imagine that we would ever be free fully from our sin. 
that we would ever be fully free from this, this, death, this body of death that we are dragging around. Right? It, it is difficult to, to imagine us to be fully and finally free. And yet, while we yet struggle and labor in sanctification in this life, our salvation is 1,000% secured, 1,000% already uh, is already experienced by us, fully waiting to be experienced by us in glorification because of who Christ is and because that he and he alone has redeemed us and purchased us from among the nations and from among the world and he has done this for his own glory and the glory of the Father. In other words, this tells us and speaks specifically when these 144,000 are standing with the Lamb here on Mount, uh, Mount Zion, it tells us of what they were. They came out of the world, they were purchased out of the world, and how they came to be, where and what they are. So they were in the world at one point, apart from Christ, apart from the Lamb, but the Lamb of God being sovereignly, um, sovereignly exercising his, his glorious rule and reign, purchased these sinners out of the world and set them securely where he is, and they are now saints of God. They are now saints of God. I know that for some of us, or maybe for all of us, this is a difficult reality because we, we, we have a tendency to think of saints as being some super special class of citizen or Christian. But in, the rea- but in reality, saints are simply us. We are Christians. We are, we are saints. We are those who are in Christ. And God has made us without fault in Christ because of the work of the Spirit in us drawing us to Christ and redeeming us and purchasing us from our sin and making us children of God. But notice the positive side of of everything that's being said here. In other words, because of this, they're singing of this new song, right? Their judgment is able to be sound because they are in Christ. Their perceptions are are clear because they are in Christ and they they are looking to Christ They see everything and have the ability to see everything through the lens of the light of God and God's truth, right? Therefore, truth informs their emotions. Therefore, recognition of obligation is followed by their actions, right? Praising. The work of God is their pleasure. Joy marks their journey. Faith moves their heart to action. And all of this is an act of the Spirit of God by Christ's grace in that he has redeemed us for his own glory. Christian, the same is true for us. Truth should should and must inform our emotion. Truth must inform our emotion. We live in a society that emotion is king. Emotion is law. But in reality for the Christian, it's not emotion that is law. It is truth that is law. It is truth that we must allow to inform our emotions. In a reality in the world in which we live in, our, our sense of understanding what we were and who we are now in Christ must, must follow in obedience. Obedience must follow from this re- realization. And as a result, we work for God and for his glory because it's our pleasure, because it marks our journey with joy, and because we realize all of this is an act of grace, 
Like you are who you are. I am who I am in Christ, not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, not because we did better than everybody else, not because we were more special than everybody else, but because Christ sought us and he bought us. That's it. That's all of it. And that must and that does work itself out in praise. So with that said, I want to show you seven biblical statements concerning God's people then as a result of this. Let me show you seven biblical statements about us who are in Christ. Let me show this to you. One, we who are in Christ bear the symbols of our confession and our recognition of Christ. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, while we, while we literally don't have a uh, name written on our forehead, as the 144,000 do here in this text, it is no less true that for us who are in Christ, Christ has set his mark upon us. Christ has marked us as his own. Christ has set us apart as his own. And as a result of being of recognizing, confessing our, our absolute need of Christ and our recognition of Christ, and Christ setting his, his mark upon us, we who are in Christ then are devoted singularly only to Christ. It's funny, if, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I had a friend of mine um, not that long ago send me a video. And I, I, know, I think I've used this before, but it, it's true because it's always, it always amazes me. Um, there's a, there was a video of a fr- uh, that a friend sent to me talking about uh, um, how very similar the video was to, to what the Bible talks about. And it was a, it was a video of a, of a shepherd in, in Scotland. And it was a video of, of a shepherd in Scotland telling, uh, telling some, young, some young ladies there to call for the sheep. And they called for the sheep. One first young lady called for the sheep. The sheep didn't respond. The second young lady called for a sheep, didn't respond. There was a young man standing there. He also called for the sheep. The sheep didn't respond. The man had not gotten the entire phrase out of his mouth about the calling for the sheep. When all of a sudden you see this herd, this giant herd of sheep, hear their shepherd's voice, not even hearing the full command of his. They hear it. They simply hear his voice. They all lift their heads in unison and they all come flying to the shepherd because they simply heard the voice of the shepherd. And this is true for us. We hear our shepherd's voice and we flee to Christ. We hear his voice and we run to him. Because he calls to us and we we confess our absolute need to him, our need of him. We are his servants who bear his name. We bear his name. But there's a second reality here of the 144,000 that is true of us as well. That is that they are admitted, we, like they, are admitted and received within the heavenly courts. That is, they stand on Mount Zion. Christian... You have access to the Father through the Son. You can come boldly to the Son now. You can come boldly to the throne of grace and find grace in your greatest time of need. You don't have to wonder, even in the times when it feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and they're not not really going any higher than your head maybe, right? Maybe they're not even bouncing off the ceiling, right? They're 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 just bouncing around in your head. In those times, we have great confidence that our Savior hears us, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he hears us when we cry out in prayer. Thirdly, then, they are of the truth, just like we are of the truth. 
that is that, that, that they, they do not love lies and they do not love error. Just like we who are in Christ should not love lies and we should not love error. We should love the truth. We should, we should not be given to falsities and deceitfulness in our lives, but we should love the truth. We must love truth. Fourthly, um, we who are in Christ, just as the 144,000, are blameless. That is, that we're, it says that they are without blemish here. These, who are in, these 144,000 are without blemish, and we who are in Christ are without blemish. Now, understand, what, is, what does Paul say in the book of Ephesians? That Christ, that Christ, his whole, the purpose in his dying and raising again for us was that he might present to himself a bride that was perfect and without blemish. We who are in Christ, though we have many besetting sins and faults, believer, know this. Christ, in fact, loves you and has set his love upon you. And of course, that doesn't give us, right, doesn't give us an excuse to abuse his grace, but instead, it, 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 it charges us with great, with great, um, uh, with great love of, 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 again, going back to not loving lies, but, but loving truth, therefore being blameless in a society that is filled with all sorts of baseless uh, slander and libel and all sorts of things. Next, there is, the, there is that these 144,000, as you and I are called, they are loyal to the Lamb. Um, as often is the case in Scripture, loyalty is expressed here in, um, in, in, in uh, sexual terms. Uh, in other words, what is said of them here? That they were virgins. Now, um, often when God is wanting us to see, and, and we'll see this later on when, when we get to the whore of Babylon, we'll see that, um, that, that this expression doesn't mean that they are literally um, virgins, but rather that as God said to Elijah in the day in which he ran from Jezebel, that uh, and Elijah says, I and I alone have, 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 uh, have escaped, and I only stand for you, Lord. And the Lord says, no, 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 Elijah, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And throughout Scripture, this term, as we saw even in Revelation uh, chapter, uh, I believe chapter two or chapter three, it talked about um, uh, that woman Jezebel who has who has uh, tempted my servants to commit um, adultery, right? And and this is the same idea, the same uh, same language being employed here. Not that they are physical virgins, but that they are spiritually pure. They are spiritually pure and loyal to the Lamb. They are not adulterous in the mixture of their relationship and their religion with Christ. They are loyal. They are loyal. They are honoring Christ in all that they, in all that they do in life. Then I would say that they are also, we also see them, like us, being redeemed by him from among men, don't we? We see them. We see them... Um, being redeemed. Remember back, uh, go back to Revelation chapter 5. I want to show you this. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Look what it says here. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. 
and have made us to our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. This is the song that they sing. This is the song that they sing. And they are singing this song for the glory of God. I would say also, lastly, seventhly, the seventh truth here is that they take on the character of Christ. By his grace, they do this. They become blameless. Unlike Satan and unlike the the false prophet and the beast here, they are not liars, they are not deceivers, but they instead are proclaimers of the truth. They proclaim the truth of the gospel. They love Christ. And we, like they, are called to the same reality. We are to be loyal because we are redeemed. We are to become like him practically in living out our faith, in being sanctified. And in fact, we are all called to rejoice in his presence, being marked as, as his through his Holy Spirit. And that's why the such language is employed. So, so, so just, as I said, verse 3, right, um, that they were redeemed. And then verse 4, that they were not defiled, um, that they were virgins, right, uh, explaining even further. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Again, speaking of redemption in verse 4, right, and, and verse 4, that they were firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And verse 5, their mouth was found with no guile. They were without fault before, before God. Right? So you see how all of their character is being lived, is being lived out in their lives. All of this is, is, is being lived out before the watching world, before heaven itself. And Christian, this is why sin is to be taken seriously in our lives. Do you know that when you and I sin, and 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 and. I, I, have, I have used this at times when I have been battling a, a, a particular sin or just sin in general, um, a sin to lash out or a sin to, to say something I shouldn't say or whatever. Um, not perfect at it, but, uh, you know, when, when you and I sin, it, it, we are, we are, it is as if we are going before the very throne room of God and doing whatever it is that we are doing. Nothing is hidden from the eyes of God. Nothing is hidden from the mind of God. Nothing is hidden from the eyes of God. He knows very well, and he calls us to live holy lives. And when we do sin, however, there is grace. Grace is given for us. Grace is given to us through Jesus Christ. And in saying that, I would say this. There is a very real truth of the enriching value of grace. Because of that, there is a very real truth to us seeing the enriching value of grace. And what do I mean by that? Well, I simply mean this. I mean that redeeming grace, the redeeming grace of God that is only found in Jesus Christ, rescues sinners and gives us a living hope so that we can stand with the Lamb before a world that is in great need of the gospel and proclaim His goodness and His grace and His mercy, His faithfulness to save sinners. Listen, there, there are even many in, in different churches who uh, I, I fear, and I know this in part because I have, I have talked to people in churches, but I've also talked to other people who have engaged people who are, who are in churches, who if you ask them what is the gospel, they cannot tell you. They have no clue of repentance. They have no idea of faith. They have no idea what the gospel is and what even it means to be a sinner and what makes Christ so great, and what makes his rescue so unbelievably good. Now, it's not to say all. It's not to say everybody. It's not to say, it's not to say, uh, 
um, you know, absolutely, uh, you know, everybody does this. But I fear that that as we in as we have tried to become more palatable to the world, we have dumbed down and we have, in fact, neutered the gospel in many ways. But these who are enriched by his grace, who see the surpassing value of God's grace, they understand what it means to live in hope, in the hope of the gospel. They are then trained by God's grace in in the gospel. They are nurtured in the gospel. They are saturated uh, with the gospel. They, They find their encouragement from Christ. Because the gospel ends up enriching our hearts. It ends up making us realize the greatness of God's grace for us and in us and to us. Because if I think I deserve God's grace, if I think I'm good enough, and that if at the end of time I'm going to be able to stand before God and all my my bad deeds, as long as my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I'm I'm good, that somehow I I I can get into heaven, we will never see the greatness of grace. But these who, have, who stand with the Lamb on Mount Zion, these who are called um, pure and undefiled, these who, who speak and love truth and proclaim the gospel of the Lamb, these who live for the glory of the Lamb, we like they, are, we understand that grace is in fact grace because God mercifully gave it to us. We didn't deserve it, we didn't earn it, and we could never do that. You know, Christianity has been said, and, and it's not, you know, I'm sure you maybe have heard this. Um, all, all of the religions in the world, even false, Christ, even false Christianity, it's all about doing, isn't it? Do this to make God like you. Do this to make God love you. Do this, do that, make God, make God be in love with you. But Christianity, biblical Christianity, as it has been said throughout the years, is a, is a religion of done. Christ has finished the work. Christ has accomplished the mission. Christ has already won. Christ has already completed the task at hand. This is why it is such good news when we hear Jesus on the cross say, It is finished. Period. There's nothing else to add to that. The work of redemption was bought and paid for through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Does that mean that we should not live for the glory of God? Absolutely we should. But because the work is already done. Because the work is already completed. Because the work of Christ on behalf of the saints, of their salvation, our salvation, is completed. And we have the examples of the saints who have gone before us. The examples of saints even, even in this, this church who have gone before us, in this local congregation who have gone before us. Saints who lived their lives for the glory of God, who loved Christ, who served Christ, who have left us legacy after legacy after legacy of faith. And faithfulness. We stand upon their shoulders as, we, as they stood upon those who came before them. And those who will come after us will stand upon, by God's grace, our shoulders as we simply are faithful to Christ. 
And we are called then to stir one another up to love and to good work and not to complacency. We are called to call sinners to repentance and faith in Christ. We are called to, to, to remember and preach the gospel to ourselves, to repent and to believe the gospel ourselves and remind ourselves of the good news of the gospel when our own flesh condemns us, our own hearts condemn us. We are called to remember the gospel and we're called to call sinners to repentance and faith in Christ. You see, the gospel, brothers and sisters, is our encouragement. It is the source of our encouragement. So Christian, do not despair. Christian, do not fall into despair. Look to Christ. Christ keeps us from falling ultimately. And he is the one who presents us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He is the one who does this. We are responsible to respond in worship and in, and, in, and, in, and in obedience. But we do this because of who Christ is and what Christ has already done for us. Let's pray. Father, your word is truly a lamp, in our, uh, is a, is a lamp before us. It's a light into our feet and a lamp into our path. And my prayer, our prayer is that we would know that we who are in Christ have your mark already set upon us. The seal of God, who is the Holy Spirit, has been poured out into our own hearts. And by him we are able to cry out, Abba, Father. We're able to cry out, praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ, who has sought us and bought us with his redeeming blood. So God, we ask now that as a result we would respond, that faith would be active in our lives that faith would be at work within us, charging us, calling us to remember the work of Christ and responding and responding in love to love. That we would worship and we would worship and we would work for your glory because of who you are and because of your great grace you have given to us. We pray that your blessing would rest upon your people now. Help us as we respond in song. In Jesus' name.